You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Okay, good, good afternoon, everyone. We're going to get started. Uh, we have about 45 minutes to, um, to teach this lesson on fighting temptation. So I want to start with introducing myself. My name is Bernardo Mendoza. I've been a disciple for two years now, and uh, I'm part of the Coastal LA um, Church, and I help lead a ministry in the South Bay Church there. And this this is Christina. She's been a disciple for 12 and a half years. She's she's amazing. And uh, she also is part of the Coastal LA Church, and she helps lead the ministry in Long Beach, part of the singles there. So... I want to start off by uh, also acknowledging your presence here. So thank you very much for joining this class. I appreciate your presence. And I hope you learn a lot today. And uh, we'll see what God does. And so before I actually introduce the topic and give a a little bit of an outline of uh, what we're going to talk about, we don't have a PowerPoint presentation. And it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of scriptures. So if you're feeling tempted to leave the room now, fight it. This is a good practice for you. But I do ask you, though, that you take pen and paper and write down the scriptures. And I really want you to go back and reflect on these scriptures. Because I think this is part of learning how to fight temptation. You know, being dedicated in the Word. And we're going to talk about that later. So, fighting temptations. We're going to talk, before we actually talk about fighting temptations, we're going to talk about what they are. We're going to define the word, in essence. We're going to talk about, um, you know, where they come from as well. The difference between being tempted and actually falling into sin. And we will share about, you know, we're going to take you on a journey through different people in the Bible that were tempted and how they responded to temptation. And at the end, we're going to cover the most important part for this lesson, and that is practicals in terms of how to fight temptation. So at this point, I'm going to pray. So let's bow our head. Dear Father, it is quite an honor, God, to stand here and speak to your people, God. It is an honor and it is a fearful thing, God, because we want to communicate only enough, God, that you would approve of. And dear God, I pray that you send the Holy Spirit truly to guide this moment, Father, that you would prepare hearts, God, that the message would come directly from you. Dear God, We all in this room are very familiar with temptation, Father. But we pray and rely on you, Father, that we can learn and that we can declare many victories in the times of difficult times when it comes to temptation, Father. So I pray that you be with us today, be with Christina as we speak, be with the audience, Father. Be with everybody's heart, Father, that we can have an amazing time in your name. And it is in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's get started. You know, we can all agree in this room that every single one of us are very familiar with what temptations are, right? You probably, this morning, you started off by experiencing some of these things. And it is, it is a part of our everyday life. So, part of the description, it, it stated that it would be unwise for us to ignore this aspect of our Christian walk. So, what is temptation? You know... 
there are three aspects of it. The word temptation is to be allured to something, to be attracted to something. And uh, it is also, an, uh, there's an aspect of testing in, uh, in the word temptation and trials. So we're going to start with uh, to be enticed and allured to do something often regarded as unwise, wrong, or immoral. And this aspect of it, I'm going to speak uh, in terms of uh, temptations from within. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 14, we read, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So this is an aspect of, this is not the devil tempting you. This is not God allowing you to be tempted. But it's from within you, the desires of the flesh, the things that we want to satisfy within us. These are the things. You know, to be enticed to do something. The second part of this, to, to attract, to appeal strongly to, or to invite. And this aspect of uh, temptation, we can read, um, this is from outside of ourselves. This is the devil, the enemy, tempting us. In Matthew 4, 8, we read, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the, their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. In both of those examples, the temptation by its very nature is, is a deception, is a lie, right? What is evil is presented uh, as deceitful. It, it, it's, in a deceitful way, it's presented as good. What is harmful can be presented as helpful. And, wh- and what is enslaving can also be perceived as liberating. You know, this form of temptation is sort of what a trap is for an animal. An animal can see a trap and they only perceive something to be good. There's a piece of food or something. But the purpose of the trap is really to trap that animal and ultimately to kill. And so the ter- third aspect of this is to put someone to the test, to be under trial, the trial of a man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, and constancy. In the book of Matthew uh, 4.1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In James 1.2, it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, and in Peter 1, 4, 12, it says that this kind of uh, trials are very common. And I'm sure many of us can point to different times in our lives when we face these different trials. And uh, so there, there, this kind of uh, trial is designed to uh, help you endure things, help build your character, to persevere, to become more like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a difference between being tested and being tempted, as we spoke, the two differences. And the differences lie mainly in the motivation in who is presenting that in front of you. The devil attempts to have a disciple of Jesus Christ to fail God's standard. Basically to fall into sin. Drag you away from God. God presents tests in front of you to determine and sharper our true character. And so we've got to be aware of that. 
And so now I'm going to pass it on to Christina to talk a little bit about the differences between being tempted and falling into sin. Amen. So uh, is this, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, awesome. So the difference between temptation and sin, this is really important for us to understand because sometimes we can feel guilty for being tempted and wonder, like, is God ashamed of me for what I'm thinking in my head and the fact that I'm being tempted right now? Um, so we've got to go to the scripture to get some conviction. We know from Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. We know that he went through incredible temptation in the desert and never gave in and never fell into sin. So we know that temptation is not sin. Uh, temptation is a test, just like Bernardo was just saying. Uh, sin is one possible result of that test, but the other possible result of the test is faithful obedience to God, which is exciting. Um, when we feel guilty for being tempted, that's a trick of Satan too, and he loves that because when we give into that and believe that lie, then we have a whole other set of temptations that comes along with it, and then we're tempted to run away from God in our temptation and to hide in shame when really what we need to be able to fight the temptation is to run to God and ask him for strength and perspective. Uh, so I'm going to tell a story now about a, a woman who was tempted in the Bible and who did give in. I think we'd be really remiss if we didn't talk about Eve and the fall of man. Uh, we're going to talk about temptation. Let's talk about the very first one. Uh, so in Genesis 3.3, 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit in the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, I'm really interested in what Eve's real temptation was here. I don't think her real temptation was to eat some fruit that looks good. Uh, in fact, when Satan was tempting her, her convictions were really strong, up until the point where he maligned God's character. Before that, she was like, no, I can't eat that. That's the rule. I already know. But then when he put into her mind a doubt about whether or not God really wanted what was best for her, then she was like, oh, well, if God doesn't want what's best for me, then maybe I do need to take my life into my own hands, and maybe I should eat this because actually this does look pretty good. Um, so we can learn from Eve's mistakes, and we can have victory over Satan by being students of the word, by making sure that we're holding to trusting it and having it written on our hearts so that when Satan comes to us, which he does every single day and tries to malign God's character to us and tries to tell us that he doesn't have our best in mind and that that's not what his rules are, that they're not for our protection and our good, uh, we can shut him down with the scriptures. And now Bernardo's going to tell us about a man. Okay, a very familiar story about a man who was tempted and fell into sin. That is the story of David. Second Samuel 11, 1 through 4. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. 
they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and, his, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and she slept with her. Some of the things that I would like to point out in this story is how, in the beginning, David was in a place he wasn't supposed to be. And I think how we can relate to this in many times is that how many times are we called by God to do something, to be somewhere, but we disobey because something feels more tempting to do. Such as on a Saturday morning, you know, something simple. If there is somewhere to be, uh, where you could serve, but you decide, you know what, I'm just going to sleep in. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go have some fun. You know, something that seems to, appears to be very innocent, a decision simply not being where you're supposed to be. You know, but what that leads to is like, it's like this, uh, the scripture that talks about giving Satan a foothold. You know, David was not where he was supposed to be, right? He was not attending his responsibilities given to him by God. And he encounters temptation. He sees this woman. He sends somebody to find out about her. And then he proceeds. At this point, he's taking action on this. He's no longer just dwelling on this thought in his head, but he actually is taking action. And this is where falling into sin comes into place, right? After finding out that this woman was married, the wife of a trusted man in his army, he still proceeded with sinning and committed adultery. And from that sin, there comes another temptation to lie to deceive someone, and even to the point in the case of David, to murder. Now, many times, maybe we find ourselves thinking, how in the world did I get to be in this place? How did I get here? And I think we can feel like that. But the reality of it, think that may be another way of deceiving ourselves than Satan telling us, well, I don't know, you're just the victim. And you, I mean, it's not really your fault that you got there. But the reality of, is that if we reflect on this story, David thought about each step that he needed to take to accomplish the, uh, like the ultimate goal, getting rid of the, the husband. His previous plans didn't work, so he proceeded with the next step. And each one of them was more severe, more severe, to the point of committing murder. So, but in the story, in the Bibles, in, in the stories in the Bible, we can see also stories of men that have overcome great temptations. And for this example, we're going to read the story of Joseph. It is also a very well-known story about Joseph overcoming temptation. So this is Genesis 39, verse 6 through 12. And we're going to start in the middle of verse 6. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome, well-built and handsome man. <laughs> and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But, sh- but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, 
My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owes, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in, his, in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though, he spoke to, and, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to tend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You know, some of the aspects I would like to point out about Joseph is that Joseph acknowledged God's favor for him. He was in a grateful state of mind. And so he was also humble in all that he had been entrusted by his master. So he respected his master. He wouldn't do anything to hurt his master. And the other very wise thing that Joseph did is that it says in, the, in that uh, scripture that he didn't even want to be with her. And this is that he began to set boundaries in situations where he knew he could be tempted to do something that wasn't right before God. And the last thing he did, which is uh, something that perhaps we're not very good at because we think we can endure so many more things, but a lot of, time, a lot of times the, the wisest thing to do is to literally run away from the situation. So these are some of the things that Joseph did, you know, that made him a very um, faithful man to God and to anybody around him. And Christina is going to share about a woman who, uh, who uh, had some of the same characters in her. So one of my favorite heroines in the scriptures as uh, somebody who overcame a lot of temptation uh, is Esther. And I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here. So sisters, your homework is to go have a quiet time on Esther chapter 4 and just assume that I'm going to mess a lot of this up. So you got to go uh, back to the scriptures <laughs> and get conviction and inspiration for yourself. Um, so... Esther was your, your typical 18-year-old girl until she was made the queen of a king that ruled an entire empire that was not her nationality and lived in a palace with a guy who just tricked the king into making it a law that they should commit genocide on all the Jews. Super tricky situation. Um, so her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, you've got to talk to the king. You're the only one that can do it. And she tells him, that's a great idea, except I can't talk to the king or I will get my head chopped off. So that's a rock in a hard place. Mm. But there's not really anywhere to go. So Mordecai pleads with her, and she, um, he tells her, listen, uh, you think you, because you live in the king's house, you're going to get away and you're not going to die? Actually, if you don't say anything, then God's going to send us help from somewhere else, and you and your family will die. So she gets her stuff together, musters up some courage, and she tells her uncle, listen, you go gather together all the Jews who are in the entire city, and you guys fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days. That's a bold thing to tell people, I think. Mm. Sometimes when I ask people to pray for me, I'm like, if you think about it, could you maybe say a cookie prayer for me? Because I don't like <laughs> doing prose. But, um, but she was really adamant. She said, you need to not eat for night and day for three days 
entire days. And then she said, you know what, and then when this is done, I'm going to do the same thing with my servants. And when this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I die, then I die. Um, That's an incredible level of trust and surrender for her to say, my entire life and existence doesn't even matter next to the well-being and survival of God's people. So if I can just talk to the sisters for a minute, I think we can learn a lot from this. Um, I really want us to ask ourselves on our priority list, sisters, where is the well-being of God's kingdom and his people and their survival on our list of priorities with our comfort and our rights? Um, Would we be willing to lay it all down? And I think, um, honestly, we don't face a lot of life-threatening situations. Uh, we can probably relate more to like the early uh, the early church that the Hebrews writer wrote to in Hebrews 12 verse 4. It says, "In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood." I think we can pretty much relate to that in this room, 21st century American women. I think for us, a much more important question to ask is not, "Are we willing to die for our faith or for Christ?" For us, we have to ask ourselves, "Am I willing to live every day?" for Christ's mission. Honestly, I can daydream sometimes about like, yeah, if somebody had a gun to my head and they were like, you should deny your faith, I'd be like, go ahead. Ah. I'd be a hero. <laughs> and it'd be awesome. And then, but there's, there's actually no courage in that at all. Um, that's actually very much an easy way out. Uh, I would go to heaven. I wouldn't have to finish grad school. It would be awesome. I'd be like, <laughs> home free. Um, but it's a lot harder to, to deny myself on a daily basis and the things that make me uncomfortable. And I think, honestly, I'm a little ashamed of myself and the fact that I actually will decide not to do things because they make me uncomfortable for God's kingdom. Um, Esther was faced with this decision of like, well, if I ask for my life, I might die. But our questions are a lot more like, well, if I say I can't work during church, I might not get to keep this job. Or if I tell people their gossiping is wrong, they might talk about me behind my back. It does happen. If I stand up for what the Bible says, people might not like me. And I really want them to like me. Or if I talk to people I don't know, I might feel uncomfortable. Or how about this one? If I'm going to really make the most of the talents and opportunities that God's given me, I might have to work hard. Ah. Yikes. So we've got to keep reading in Hebrews 4 and and take his exhortation in verse 12 to heart. Sisters, we've got to strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees. We've got to make level paths for our feet. Because if Satan can get us to not be willing to live for God on a daily basis in our decisions, he doesn't have to threaten us with life-threatening situations. Uh, He's already got us. We need to not just be willing to die for Christ theoretically, but we have to be willing and in reality, living for him on a daily basis. Okay. The last story that we're going to talk about before we go um, move forward in terms of overcoming temptation is the story of Jesus himself. And that is in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, 
It is written, men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the high point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and will lift you up on... Hold on. Let me find my place. For it is written, it will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and, and their splendor. All this will, I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. In this story, we see that Jesus was very familiar with scripture and rightfully so he was the son of God. But he resisted and never sinned. So he also res- uh, re- so responded to temptation with scripture. Before you're able to do that, or before I'm able to do that, I have to devote myself to Scripture, myself, to be able to do what Jesus did. The other aspect of what he did is he entrusted, he trusted his father, and he was not willing to put his father to the test. And he fought and commanded Satan himself to leave him alone. And so... There's a, there's a powerful thing about Jesus' experience of temptation, though, because that means, such, that, that means a lot for our lives in, what, in how we experience temptation and how we uh, have to face it and rely on Jesus. So in Hebrews 2.18, it says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that, th- that word, those, refer to us as disciples of Jesus. So he understands everything that I'm going through, everything that you're going through, because he experienced it himself. And so Christina is going to elaborate in terms of what it, like, why is it so important for us that Jesus was also experienced temptation and what it means for us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Um, This scripture is really hard for me to believe. A lot of times I get a twisted perception of Jesus, and I think, yeah, he was tempted really bad sometimes to maybe not say, excuse me, after he sneezed or something. But I want to do evil things, and Jesus wouldn't want to do this, what I'm thinking about doing. Um, So I can know intellectually that this scripture is true, but still not feel like Jesus really empathizes with me. Um, But Bernardo showed me this amazing quote from C.S. Lewis I want to share with you guys that really helps me to understand and believe the scripture. Lewis says, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it not by giving in. 
You find out the strength of the wind by walking against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. You know, temptations can be very powerful in our lives if we do not rely on God. And I think a lot of times our perception of what temptations are affect how we respond to them. And I think when we have a very skewed perception of what temptations are, we can feel very helpless. And we can just simply give in after five minutes, as Christina says. But we never really understand the full extent of what, how powerful temptations can be. But temptations can also be seen or have a perception of it as opportunities to glorify God. And that's really, as a disciple, we should look at every temptation and every trial that we go through and see it as an opportunity. This is my chance to demonstrate my faith and to rely, to put my faith in God and believe that he will come through for me. Right? In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which, is the, which the Lord has promised to them who love him. And in resisting and overcoming temptation, we are really, what we're really doing is demonstrating our love for God. And it's such a difficult thing to do. But at this point, we're going to talk about some practical ways of how to fight temptation so that we can glorify God, so they can demonstrate our love for God through how we respond. The first one is devoting ourselves to the reading of the Scripture. Right? We can see Jesus doing this himself. He was familiar with Scripture. We need to be familiar with Scripture. You know, we need to devote so much time that we actually memorize Scripture. And I don't know about you, but personally, when I'm feeling tempted, it is very difficult for me to pick up my Bible and start reading something. In the, midst, in the face of temptation, it is very hard to do that. But what is very helpful is that if prior to that time, in the time when you were standing firm, God, spend time with Scripture. Pick a Scripture and memorize it. You know, in our small group, uh, uh, part of the South Bay Church there, we started doing where we were assigned a Scripture when we meet. And then we call each other out in, in terms of remembering the Scripture. Because the power of knowing Scripture is so great. It's not only going to help you, but when somebody approaches you and wants your help, it is amazing what can happen when Scripture just come into your mind and help that someone else out. It is important also for us to know when to fight and when to run. We see Jesus literally telling Satan, away from me. He was engaged in battle. He wasn't running away. But we see the example of Joseph where he literally, he did not hesitate to run away from that. And I think it's important for us to identify the things 
where we need to run away from it. You know, it would be very foolish if I struggle with alcohol to sit in a bar and say, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to overcome it. That is the moment where I'm called to just literally run away. Right? And we need to identify these things. And also, it's important to have a plan beforehand and set boundaries. Things such as, simple things such as, I'm not going to spend time alone with such and such person. Whether it's another disciple or whether it's someone else, a coworker, a friend who is not a disciple. Having a plan of how to respond to a coworker's invitation to do something. What is that something? It's important to find out. You know, sometimes I get invitations from my friends from school. They would ask me, you know, hey, let's hang out this weekend. But I know what that entails from knowing them before. That typically means we're going to go to a bar, we're going to drink a lot to the point where we don't remember, and that, that's what they consider fun. Do I have a plan in place? Have I set boundaries in that? Because if I haven't, it is very easy for me to just say, okay, let's do it, you know. And then when time comes to actually go, you start making excuses. Well, I'm just going to go for a little bit. And, you know, like in the story of David, one simple decision can lead to very drastic consequences. And so know the times and situations in which you're most tempted as well. It is a very important thing. For me, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober, be diligent. Because you, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Personally, when I get emotional, it is a very weak point for me. And it doesn't matter whether in my, in my room, with my roommate, with my friends, being emotional is a very weak point to be. And yes, I'm a guy and I am emotional. My, my roommate can attest to this. One of the times when I face a lot of temptation is after visiting my family. Visiting family generates a lot of emotions in me. I'm thinking about a lot of things, and that can lead to things where I just feel so many things that are not even from God. But that's a weak moment for me. When I'm un- under a lot of pressure, and I'm sure when you're under a lot of pressure, whether from work, from school, or from anything in life, that can lead to a moment where you're weak, weak, and you need to know that. Because knowing that, being aware of that, you can prepare best when you're feeling that, having a plan in place for that as well. You know, things that are very silly that can lead to temptation. Are you tempted something like, you know, Facebook? You know, something like Facebook, what it will do to me, maybe some of you can relate to me. Looking at other people's profiles and engaging this self-pity or comparing yourself. But that alone not only doesn't only stop there. That response alone is not pleasing to God because you're perceiving yourself as something other than what God perceived yourself. So, but that can affect a lot of what you do after, as you go through your day and how you feel about yourself. There might be temptation to simply give in because of how you perceive yourself. So let me see. At this point, I'm going to have Christina to share some of the 
um, practicals. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I want to share with you guys a few things that have saved my life over and over again, uh, especially in the last couple years. Uh, the first one is when I'm going through temptation, um, is to take a step back and get an eternal perspective. So I'll usually ask myself three questions. First of all, I'll ask, like, okay, what is the eternal consequence of this sin that I want to give into right now? And also, what's the eternal reward for me if I don't? And then I'll ask one more question. I'll say, okay, well, what, what is the benefit of this sin, really? And how does that stack up in value with the value of what I'm going to get with God in heaven? Um, this is huge. We're actually doing studies on this stuff with kids. You can do studies with kids as long as you don't use harmful chemicals or uh, cause <laughs> psychological trauma. So there's this great study that was done uh, in Stanford in the 60s and 70s. This psychologist named Walter Michel. Uh, he took a group of kids and he told them, all right, individually, he said, you can have a marshmallow or a cookie or a pretzel or whatever you want. This is called the marshmallow experiment. It's great. And he said, or you can have this right now. Or if you wait 15 minutes, then a tester will come back and he'll give you double. So a few of the kids didn't try to hang on. Most kids tried. And as you watch them, some would cover their tray or cover their eyes with their hands and turn around so they couldn't see the tray. And then some (laughs) would, like, kick the desk or tug on their hair. And then there were some who would actually stroke the marshmallow like it was a little pet, which is, I think, weird and probably unhelpful, but they didn't. Um, And then some kids just, like, ate the marshmallow as soon as the tester walked out. So what's really interesting, though, is that the people who did this study followed these kids for the next 10 years of their life. And they found that the kids who were able to wait and use delayed gratification and get the double reward were actually... um, more healthy, had higher SAT scores, and higher quality of life than the kids that gave in immediately. This is amazing. This is a great illustration of the fact that the decisions we make to hold on and wait for what's better now in the moment, they affect our character and who we are. They affect our quality of life, and they affect, because they affect our character, they affect our eternal destiny. (laughs) Now, this gets even more interesting, believe it or not. A couple years ago in 2012 a group at the University of Rochester looked at the marshmallow experiment and said, that's great, but maybe there's something else going on. Maybe it's just a self-control issue, Um, but let's do another test. So they took a group of kids, and they split them in two. And with one group, they had the tester make a promise to each kid before the marshmallow experiment and keep it. And with the other group, they had the tester make a promise to the child before the marshmallow experiment, and break it. Mm. And what they found was that in the group that had a reliable tester, these kids would wait four times as long in their efforts to hold on and get the double reward. This is just a marshmallow. Mm. But this blew me away because this goes all the way back to the story of Eve in the garden and us on a daily basis and illustrates that when we trust the person who makes us a promise to come through and fulfill and do what they say they're going to do, we're so much stronger in our self-control and so much more willing to hold out. The real battle for us isn't to just control our behavior. The real battle for us is to trust God, that his promises are true, and to be close to him, and to want what he's offering in his promises. Um, So getting an internal perspective is huge for me. Uh, The next one is being open. 
Um, if I can just be honest, I am not less susceptible as a 12-year-old disciple to temptation than I ever have been. Um, in fact, in a lot of ways, I've been going through a lot more and, and stronger temptation in areas that just weren't a weakness before in the last year or two than I ever have in my life. What I have gotten better at is I've gotten a little bit smarter and um, learned to be open faster and sooner. Um, the women in my life know when I'm going through a lot of temptation, especially at work, because they'll get an email from my work address that says, hey, guys, uh, I am in the battle right now, and here's exactly what I'm thinking. And I'll just be open to the point of embarrassment. Um, I hate telling my friends that I'm thinking what I'm thinking because um, I want them to like me and whatever. Uh, but that's why they're awesome is because they still love me after this. Um, and I tell them this is, this is how I, why I don't want to give in to that because this is what I want to hold on to in my relationship with God. Please pray for me. And as soon as I hit that send button, the entire tide of the battle has been changed every single time where I go from feeling completely hopeless, like I'm done. Spiritually, I'm dead, as good as, until I know that people are praying for me and I know that God's promise is true, that we're healed uh, when we mm-hmm. confess. Um, and I know that God has the victory. And it is going to be hard, but he is going to get victory in this. And then lastly, the thing that saves my life in dealing with temptation is being about relationship and not being about behavior. Uh, I think it's super interesting that the wicked servant in the parable of the talents said Mm. to his master, he says, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. This is Matthew 25, verse 24. He said, so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. This guy obviously didn't have a good relationship with his master, and he had some perceptions about him that he was hard, that he didn't really care about him as a servant, Uh, And then he didn't have his best in mind. And so he wasn't interested in doing what was in the best interest of the master. Um, And I'm the same. I'm very naturally rebellious. If you tell me I should do something because I just should, I will probably do it just to tell you what. (laughs) Just because, not for any good reason, but just because I'm a sinner. But when I love somebody, I will crawl to the moon and back twice. And then ask, what else can I do? Or if there's something that they don't like, I'll build an iron wall to keep it away from them. And when I'm close to God and I love him, I don't want to have anything to do with what he doesn't like or with what hurts him. So I'm about relationship that helps me to fight temptation. Um, and then lastly, I just want to share a scripture with you guys um, that gives me a lot of hope, especially in temptation. This is Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I love the scripture because I honestly believe you guys. I believe that when we get to heaven, we are going to laugh so hard. (laughs) We look back at our lives and the things that made us struggle. And we're like sitting in heaven with God in perfect eternity that we're literally not able to comprehend how amazing it's going to be. And just think, man, I could have gone through so much more. And it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't have compared um, to what we have in heaven right now with God. Okay. Before I go to the closest scripture, there was one practical I did completely skip. So I'm going to go to it because it's such an essential aspect of our Christian walk. And that is devoting, devotion to prayer. And I think, you know, I think back when Jesus was 
having the most difficult time of his life. He was about to face uh, crucifixion. He actually went and prayed all night, and he took some people with him. And even though those people didn't really come through, they kept falling asleep. But Jesus did not give up. He persevered, and he continued to pray. And I think prayer is a very important aspect of preparing our hearts and even helping our hearts in the moments of temptation. Not only praying yourself, you in the moment when you're feeling tempted, but also, like Christina said, pray for me. Ask somebody else to pray with you. And I think that is a powerful aspect, and we should do it on a daily basis. And so the closing scripture that I want to leave with you, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. At the beginning of this year, I was having such a difficult time with fear of what's going to come next. What does it mean for me, like helping in the ministry, for my work? There were a lot of transitions happening. And I was, ha- I was becoming very overwhelmed with a lot of things in my life. And, you know, things were going great, but I was still feeling ungrateful and fearful. That I wasn't trusting God. And this scripture really hit my heart at that moment. Because I realized through this scripture that whatever I was feeling, somebody else was probably feeling the same thing. And every one of us in this room have experienced the same temptations at some point in our lives. So we can definitely relate to each other. So we've got to rely on each other in that aspect. Another aspect of this is that God will not allow me to be tempted beyond that I can bear. This really what this spoke to me is God literally standing before me and saying, Bernardo, do you realize that every trial that I'm putting before you, I know that you got what it takes to overcome that because I'm not going to allow you to be tempted beyond that you can bear. So I've already equipped you. I've already prepared you. Right? And so is true for you. Everything you're facing in your life, God is saying, you've got what it takes. So we've got to believe God in that. The last part of it is that God will come through for you when you are tempted. He will provide a way out. So we've got to be conscious of this. Because I'm either not fighting hard enough or I'm not being sensitive to God providing my way out in that. And God is faithful and that is his promise that he will always be with us in the good times, in the difficult times, especially in the face of temptations. So, and that is what we have for you today. So, thank you very much. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.